Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There, God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. This is Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. Good to be with you guys. I'm driving solo today. Pastor Michael, um, like I said, is usually my co-host, but not today. So once in a while, I like to do a, a show by myself just to connect uh, with the people that listen to the show. Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail, give me a shout out. I know the producer of the show, Al, <laughs> he likes when I have guests on. But, you know, I like to muse with my people. And I just want to, what I want to do today is just look at a couple of sets of scriptures Kind of maybe preach a little bit of a sermon to you guys, if I may. Like I said, if you guys are looking for a church home, a church family, if you guys are not going to a church, we don't want to be sheep stealers, but if you guys are looking for a sound, hopefully and prayerfully, a sound theological church, uh, reformed in their thinking, um, Desert Sky Baptist Church here in Casa Grande. And I'll give you a little idea of how we preach and teach a little bit today on this show. Hopefully I can do it in one segment. Um, so bear with me. And if you if you have your Bibles with you, go to the Gospel of Mark. Go to the Gospel of Mark in the 10th division of Mark. We're going to start there. We're going to read a couple of verses here. Uh, uh, Mark 10, 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him, meaning Jesus, so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them laying his hands on them. So we see a contrast here. We see the little children and we see the disciples. So that's that's the first contrast here we want to look at. So in order to understand this text this morning, we must remember in that culture at that time that children represent the least in society, right? Which contrasts the best or the rich in society. So we're going to look at that in our next segment of scripture, right? In that culture, children, especially girls, had no status. According to Bach, in a culture in which children were devalued, they could be callously exposed to death. In fact, William Lane, in his commentary on Mark, uh, depicted that was there was a writing in June 17 of 1 BC containing a letter with instructions from a husband saying to his expectant wife, if it's a male child, let it live. If it's a female, cast it out. But these children, on the other hand, receive a blessing from Jesus. So the disciples rebuking the children, they agree with the culture. And basically, children should be seen and not heard. But Jesus rebukes 
the disciples. We see that in verse 13, if you're following along with the text. The disciples, in fact, think they're better than the children. They think they have special status with Jesus. And the status, according to one commentator, puts them on par with the Pharisees, who thought they were better than everyone. And, and you got to understand here in verse 14, Jesus reverses the cultural norms by this cult, countercultural statement saying, do not hinder the children to come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to them. It's a radical statement, but it's true because the children that receive the kingdom as gift, there's no status to uphold or work to be done. It's theirs by grace. In fact, again, Lane depicts that the kingdom of God belongs to children and to others like them who are of no apparent importance because God has willed it to give it to them. What a blessing. What a God we serve. God has willed it to give it to them. Nothing with my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. In fact, Paul said God chose the foolishness of the world to confound the wise. In that context, the Greeks were known as being these intellectuals, the Jews, strict law keepers. But none of that makes a difference to a sovereign God who calls things into existence and is no respecter of persons. Of course, here we see the children are unnamed. They're children, no particular names. You know, we have to understand the context. When Jesus came on the scene, there were a lot of competing ideas about an expected Messiah. And I don't think Jesus checked a lot of those boxes. Even John the Baptist was ordained to pronounce Christ coming in the spirit of Elijah, was one who doubted. Remember when John was in prison? He asked his disciples, they asked Jesus, you the Messiah, should we expect another? And Jesus quoted Messianic scriptures from Isaiah to John's disciples to bring back to John that, yes, he is the expected one. With that being said, there was a kingdom coming that would challenge many of these competing ideas and challenge how one enters this eternal kingdom. In fact, Jesus turned the world upside down. Not only did he challenge worldviews, but he challenged the religious leaders of his day on how salvation is accomplished. His first word spoken will repent and believe the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. He also broke tradition. Remember, he spoke the truth to the Samaritan woman about new forms of worship in spirit and in truth over against the previously adored temple worship. Talked about Gentile inclusion, remember? He was non-conforming concerning tradition in the world that he lived. And I want to look at one of the many accounts of this so-called radical worldview. It comes to a person whom Jesus loved, following this radical teaching about the inclusion of children, now included in his kingdom, that he's willed to give. Again, nothing with my hands I bring, right? Only to the cross I cling. He will now speak about a kingdom that will have no end to another unnamed individual. The children were called children. And here we're going to talk about a certain man. Verse 17, just finishing up the narrative. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, good teacher, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. Then Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good as kept God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not be a false witness, don't defraud, and honor your mother and father. 
And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things for my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonishing than then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it's impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, except one who will receive 100 times as much now in this present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. So the rich man in the present story with his possessions and social status is a striking contrast to the simple children of the previous story. Now, we don't know what his occupation was. Was he a married guy? Was he single? We don't know. We do know he had a mastered life. He had money, he had status, and he was religious. Prime candidate for salvation, right? Or he was one that already thought that he had earned his salvation. And he's looking for a pat on the back or an approval for his achieved salvation. In that case, he may not be a prime candidate for salvation. These are theological conundrums or challenges in the story that we must consider. On the other hand, we want to be careful of always trying to fit ourselves in the story by saying, who am I in the story? I think it's better to receive the story, embrace the story as a little child would. Do not measure, but grasp and lay hold of it. Be dependent on its teaching as being theological truth so we can be surprised by its ending. This man comes up to Jesus and calls him good, verse 17. Some commentators see this as flattery, some see it as reverence. I think the issue is here that he thinks he has authority to consider who or what is good. With that being said, he does not view Jesus as God. But what Christ does, he points him to the Father. We see that in verse 18. And he says to the man, do not call me good, only God is good. And I think the assumption here is that this man cannot judge what is good, nor can we judge what is good. In fact, when Jesus was asked by the man on how to inherit eternal life, that's the straw that mixes the drink, so to speak. Notice the question. It's the wrong question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, that's a wrong question. But sometimes those are our questions. But the answer is he can't do anything to inherit eternal life, nor can any of us. So Jesus points him to the law to prove his point. He questions him. Have you kept the law? Jesus quizzes him, basically, about him keeping the law. He quizzes him on the sixth, seventh, and ninth commandments, then back to the fifth commandment. Jesus says, you know them. He says, yes, I've kept them all. Now, where do I stand, Jesus? Let's look at these commandments, right? They all have to do with interaction with others. In other words, the commandments challenge on one on how we treat people. So think about this. I'm sure this unnamed, or they call him the rich young ruler in some other gospels, 
I'm sure this unnamed man in this narrative hasn't killed anybody, hasn't robbed no one, probably hasn't cheated on his wife if he was married, and probably honors his mother and father. In fact, Lane depicts his calculations are based on self-interest rather than a single devotion to God. He'd rather bring something to the table. He's a prime candidate to do more, but he shows no love for God. This man is expressing his hope and personal merits. It is here that he's found wanting. The two most abused commandments in the Old Testament were the sin of idolatry and not caring for the poor. This is where he is challenged because he's concerned with his own piety, his own works, and he's lost sight of others who are the least, like the children. How do you care for the poor? You become poor, not money-wise, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Because he, like us, has to enter the kingdom of heaven as a child, like the least of society, not the best of society, dependent on a need of God. This man has no need. This man has no need. Or does he? Does he have a need? Here's the point. It's a radical way of living. Jesus says that anyone who counts on what they're doing to get eternal life will find that in spite of everything they've accomplished, there's an insecurity. That's why this man is here in the first place. He's insecure. How do I inherit eternal life? You can't. You must receive it like a child. How can anyone ever know what is good enough? Hence the good teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. It's a gift. The Bible says Jesus loved him, verse 21, very important. And then Jesus challenges the one he loves by telling him, sell that you, all that you have, all that you're trusting in, all that gives you an identity, and follow me and I'll give you a true eternal identity. But it was too much to ask. He went away grieving. He was defined by his abilities. Let me say this again. He was defined by his abilities to achieve, not to receive. It's a sad place to be. We see that in verse 22. And Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 23, and he says, it's, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, especially if your riches and your achievements is what you're depending on. And the illustration Jesus uses is it's easier for a camel, which is the biggest animal of that day, to go through a small eye of a sewing needle. He says that's how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. William Lane says in verse 27, uh, with man it's impossible, but not with God all things are possible. In other words, according to Lane, salvation is completely beyond the sphere of human possibilities, just like it is for a camel to fit in the eye of the needle. Every attempt to enter the kingdom of God on the basis of achievement and merit a futile to the rich as well as to the poor. Again, it's much easier to achieve. It's much easier to achieve than to receive. Salvation is only limited by a sovereign action of God himself, the ability and the power to effect deliverance, reside in God alone. Nothing with the, my hands I bring again only to the cross. We cling. And Peter's view is not misplaced, as some say in verse 28. And the things that you leave a sacrifice are the very things that could hurt you. Peter says, we've left all, right? If you put these things before God, like this certain man did, they can hurt you. And it is the least, the last, the least in the world that will become first. Peter says, Lord, we've given up everything. And the Lord says, I know that. And you'll be blessed for that. But there will be persecution. But here's something we need to ponder. 
And I had to kind of rush a little bit through this because I want to do this in one segment. I, I don't want to do it in two segments, but I'm going to slow up just a little bit because there's something we need to ponder. Who's the true rich young ruler in the story? Isn't it Christ? Didn't he truly give everything up? Didn't he have the riches of all coming from the glories of heaven to follow the Father's will so he could have his people enter with him into the kingdom of God, which otherwise is impossible? That's why Luther says, when I look in the mirror, I don't know how I can be saved. When I look to Christ, I don't know how I can't be saved. What Christ had asked the rich young ruler was exactly what he would do for his people. Give up everything. And we hope down the line that the young man that Jesus loved would acknowledge that Christ fulfilled what he could not and know that as a little child he could receive a salvation that he really does not deserve. This is something we all must receive as a little child. Why? Why is the question? You see, I can't say it enough to you or to me. Jesus, he's the rich young ruler. There's no contrast here in this part of the story. Jesus came to this earth to go on the cross and die for his people, giving up the glories of heaven. When he told the rich young ruler to go sell everything you have and come and follow me, he did the same thing for his people in the form of God. Did not think it equality with God, even though he was God, a very God, he put off and put on humanity. What he told the rich young ruler to give up everything, that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Christ did. Coming from the glories of heaven from the Father for his people. To be put on a cross. Oh dear brethren. I implore you. Be reconciled to God. Who has done everything. For his people. He's a good God. There's nothing we have to achieve. It's only for us to receive. As a little child. Jesus says the kingdom belongs to them. He was telling the rich young ruler, what you can't do, I know you can't give up them riches, but I'm going to give up the riches for you. What a picture. What a picture of grace, a kind, sovereign grace, a hell that we deserve. I mean, think about this Christ, God of very God. The ruler of the universe who spoke it into existence. Think about this sovereign living God, a holy God, who has come and died for his people. And let's read it. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted and bestowed on him the name which is above Every name, 
existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of man. He's the true rich young ruler that gave up everything for his people. Man, you got to grasp that. If you're struggling, you don't have to achieve. You have to receive like a little child who's so dependent on their father. You don't, listen, you don't have to, you get to. See, when you do things for God, it's only because you are saved. You don't do things for God to get saved. You do things for the kingdom because you are saved. Don't believe the hype. He's a good God. He's a, he's a God of all grace. Again, I implore you, be reconciled to God. We never know. Only God knows our time. Oh, he did not tell the rich young ruler something that he would not do a hundredfold. You know, we look at the rich young ruler and we say, oh, look at that dude. He went away. No, that's listen, that's us. That's us. We're the rich young ruler in that aspect, in that aspect. And because of that, the true rich young ruler, God of very God, the second person of the Trinity, would come down for wretches like us. Oh, sovereign king, what a savior, what a master, what a God. I preach to myself. Maybe you don't need to hear this, but I do. Because I am no different than the rich young ruler with the little R. I'm no different. I need the rich young ruler with the capital R who gave up everything. He's a good God. Better than me or you can ever deserve. This is no easy believism here. This is bowing down to a sovereign king like a child. Oh, may the Lord bless and keep us and shine his light upon us. We are so needful of him. We need to eat from the king's table every day. I implore you to be reconciled to God in Jesus' name. This is Pastor Dominic Romaldi with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it. To the streets in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.